Do you think that classical music is not for you and you don't know where to start? Or maybe you're a fan already and would welcome a fresh approach. You've come to the right place. Perfect pitch is for everyone, beginners or experts, whatever your age. Lend Nick Healy Hutchinson your ears for his weekly dose of classical music that will enrich your life. Those of you who enjoy the music of Johannes Brahms will know what I mean when I say he's the sort of composer who seems to go well with a season of autumn. There's an undeniably autumnal feel to the mood of many of his compositions. Not, I hasten to add, grey or downcast, but embracing and meditative as the days get shorter. We've listened to some of his music before, and you may remember how I mentioned that it was almost universally reviled in his life, with the notable exceptions of Robert and Clara Schumann. Tchaikovsky wrote that he has no charm for me. I find him cold and obscure, full of pretensions, but without any real depth. And in his Brandy of the Damned of 1964, Colin Wilson observed that Benjamin Britten claims that he plays through the whole of Brahms at intervals to see whether he's really as bad as he thought, and ends up discovering that he's actually much worse. Personally, I think that's a ridiculous and thoroughly pompous observation. Brahms was unquestionably a one-off, but I remain perplexed as to why his music continues to divide opinion today. Here are two short piano pieces which cover so many of those moods. Tenderness and Charm in the short waltz in A-flat, followed by the tempestuous ballade in G minor, which in fact has its own little dose of tenderness in the middle. Neither of these pieces could be called cold or pretentious. The waltz is played by Maura Limpany and the ballade by Murray Pariah.
I'd be surprised if too many of you had heard of Ronaldo Hahn, a Venezuelan-born French composer who lived between 1874 and 1947. He was a proper child prodigy, entering the Paris Conservatoire at the age of 10. Despite being slightly scathing about homosexuals and homosexuality, he was almost certainly one himself, and I doubt his friendship with Marcel Proust was limited to a love of literature, painting and Gabriel Faure. I've had a glimpse of a biography by Brian Rees, which is expected to come out later this year or early next, and I recommend it to you highly. He's most famous for his huge output of songs. So let's listen to one of them. La Barquetta, The Little Boat, is a song about just that, a little boat in which the singer sends it on its way to Santa Fe. Here it is, sung by the tenor Leonardo de Lisi. I think it's rather lovely, and you may just recognise it. Mm. 
We've heard some of Schumann's chamber and piano music on previous podcasts, but it was his wife Clara who observed that a lot of that was actually quite orchestral in its structure. So she was very keen for her husband to write something symphonic. It wasn't until he was over 30 in 1841 that she got her wishes. His first symphony came to be known as The Spring, but only after he'd written it. There was no direct to portray the season itself, so I don't think it really matters when it's played. I know there are some who don't credit Schumann with huge skills of orchestration. Maybe his symphonies don't have the richness or sophistication of some others, but you can be forgiven anything when you come up with a tune like this. Like so much of his music, it goes straight to the soul. So if you're in a position to do so, this is one of those close your eyes moments to allow yourself to submit to its simple beauty. The second movement of Schumann's first symphony is played here by the Royal Stockholm Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Zachary Oramo.
And now, in the time-honoured phrase, for something completely different. A few months ago, we listened to an aria from Korngold's opera, Die Todesstadt, and it's high time we listened to his thrilling violin concerto. Just a quick recap. Korngold, you might remember, was declared a genius by Mahler at the age of 11. And it was his mother who, when asked how long he'd been playing the piano for, is supposed to have replied, Eric has always played the piano. With praise like that, you might expect the guy would turn out to be impossibly full of himself, but the complete opposite was happily the case. His feet may not have been able to reach the pedals at an early age, but they nevertheless stayed firmly on the ground all his life. He was the first great film music composer, and definitely paved the way in that genre for the likes of John Williams. We're going to listen to the third movement of his violin concerto written in 1942 in a moment, but before we do that, let's listen to just a couple of minutes of his theme from The Prince and the Pauper, a film five years previously. Yes, it's schmaltzy and unashamedly kitsch, but it's also rather delicious. Listen out for those brass and percussion moments and you'll see what I mean about John Williams. This could so easily come from Harry Potter over 60 years later, couldn't it? Now I think that's great, and if you don't, then this might be a good time to clock out, because Korngold uses it as the principal theme for the third movement of his violin concerto. This is blisteringly difficult, but it's also riveting. It's modern and edgy, and it's also a brilliant example of how a very clear melody can survive awkward and at times almost offensive harmonies. And if you didn't know it was by Korngold, I think you might easily have thought it was by John Williams, because it's familiar sounding and so up to date. It's played here by Itzhak Perman with a Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra conducted by Andre Previn. <laughs> ¶¶ 
that's it for now. Thank you for listening to Perfect Pitch with Nick Healy Hutchinson. He'll be back again next week with some more treasures for you, so please do join him then. And you can subscribe to this podcast by clicking on the link below.